Hey everyone, it's Father Pat, here today to offer you my reflections on the scripture readings for today. Our readings for today are from the fourth Sunday in Ordinary Time. A reading from the book of Deuteronomy. Moses spoke to all the people, saying, A prophet like me will the Lord your God raise up for you from among your own kin. To him you shall listen. This is exactly what you requested of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let us not again hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire any more, lest we die. And the Lord said to me, This was well said. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their kin, and will put my words into his mouth. He shall tell them all that I command him. Whoever will not listen to my words, which he speaks in my name, I myself will make him answer for it. But if a prophet presumes to speak in my name, an oracle that I have not commanded him to speak, or speaks in the name of other gods, he shall die. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our response. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Come, let us sing joyfully to the Lord. Let us acclaim the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us joyfully sing psalms to him. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord who made us, for he is our God and we are the people he shepherds, the flock he guides. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Oh, that today you would hear his voice, harden not your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the desert, where your fathers tempted me. They tested me, though they had seen my works. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, I should like you to be free of anxieties. An unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But a married man is anxious about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and he is divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is anxious about the things of the Lord, so that she can be holy in body and spirit. A married woman, on the other hand, is anxious about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I am telling you this for your own benefit, not to impose a restraint upon you, but for the sake of propriety and adherence to the Lord without distraction. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord be with you. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Then they came to Capernaum, and on the Sabbath Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. The people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. In their synagogue was a man with an unclean spirit. He cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him and said, Quiet, come out of him. The unclean spirit convulsed him, and with a loud cry came out of him. All were amazed and asked one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. His fame spread everywhere throughout the whole region of Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. From 1978 to 1985, the sitcom Different Strokes told the story of two young men adopted by their mother's rich employer after her tragic death. 
many funny situations occur as the boys adapt to their much more affluent lifestyle and surroundings. One of the stars of the show was Gary Coleman, who played the youngest brother, Arnold. At least once an episode, you could count on his signature line, What you talking about, Willis? as he asked his older sibling to explain yet another novelty in his life. When we speak of prophets, our minds jump into a mental time machine and travel back to the centuries before the birth of Jesus, to those men and women called by God to challenge the people of Israel and the culture in which they lived, while promising a Messiah and a future kingdom that lasts forever. But listening to Moses in our first reading today, I realize I'm doing what I always do. I put God in a box so that his plans fit into my Arnold-like brain, and I make God too small. Moses says, A prophet like me will the Lord your God raise up for you from among your own kin. This is exactly what you requested of the Lord when you said, Let us not again hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire any more, lest we die. The people wanted a prophet because they were afraid to hear God's voice and to see him face to face. God wants to speak to us, but he also wants us to receive what he gives. And so he packages his word in human form, using chosen individuals to speak for him. But Moses isn't only addressing the people of his own time. If he was, there would have been no prophets after the Exodus people died. Instead, prophecy continues in the centuries that follow. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Malachi, etc. all came many generations later. But then Jesus arrives on the scene. Problem solved. God speaks to, us, speaks to us directly in human packaging. No need for flawed vessels like those other clowns who served as middlemen. It saves a lot of time, too, in fact. No need to chase after men like Jonah, who run away before they finally submit to God's will. Jesus knows what he's about, and he gets right to it. Look at the reaction of the people of Capernaum when Jesus teaches in the synagogue, and while there, casts out a demon. They say, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. His fame spread everywhere throughout the whole region of Galilee. For first century Galilean Jews, spending some portion of the Sabbath day in the synagogue was pretty standard. Someone would read from the law, that is, the first five books of our Bible, and someone else would read from one of the prophets, followed by a homily of sorts, perhaps given by a rabbi or a scribe, someone who knows or pretends to know what they're talking about. But the people in Capernaum that day noticed something different about Jesus. He doesn't just quote those who have gone before him, resting safely in the rabbinic tradition. His listeners sense the prophetic voice that they've been promised. He speaks for God because he is God, although they don't yet realize it. There is one person present, of course, who does know. The man possessed by the demon may have been a regular visitor to the synagogue, a townsperson who just blended in with the rest of his neighbors, but not this day. The demon inside him recognizes who is speaking and, like the ancient Israelites, is terrified to be in the midst of the divine. And so Jesus casts him out. The Gospels capture for us the heart of Jesus' teaching. There is then, in a sense, nothing else to say. It's all there. We shouldn't need prophets anymore. And yet we find ourselves, two millennia later, still trying to figure it all out. We paradoxically need what I'll call rearview mirror prophets. While the prophets of old looked forward to a Messiah, the prophets of the current day reflect on the infinite wisdom spoken to us through his Son. We shouldn't be surprised, of course, for the Lord did say, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, 
from among, among their kin, and will put my words into his mouth. He shall tell them all that I command him. But how do we identify the prophets of our time? The answer may leave you asking, what you talking about, Father Pat? Addressing the U.S. Congress in the year 2015, Pope Francis cited four individuals as what he called representatives of the American people, Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King Jr., Thomas Merton, and Dorothy Day. I think we may find in them the rearview mirror prophets that we seek. Let's look at Dorothy Day, for example. The late Pope Benedict XVI also cited her in his general audience of the 13th of February 2013, just days after he announced his own resignation from the See of Peter. He spoke of Day's, quote, ability to oppose the ideological enticements of her time in order to choose the search for truth to open herself to the discovery of faith. Day, who was the co-founder of the Catholic Worker Movement, is currently recognized as a servant of God. Her cause for canonization is under study, and yet her search for holiness was not without controversy. As a young woman in, her, in the early 20th century, she lived a less than virtuous existence, including an abortion, which she later called the greatest tragedy of her life. At different, at various times, she expressed her admiration for communist principles, and at least the initial motivations of such men, such as such men as Marx, Lenin, Mao, and Castro, as being rooted in love for their fellow men, while flawed in their failure to realize the centrality of God and the necessity of a faith-based search for ultimate truth. She routinely opposed the U.S. bishops, particularly in her total rejection of war, all the while embracing obedience to them as shepherds in the teaching of the faith. She rejected social security, in fact, despite her dedication to serving those in economic need. Why? In the February 1945 issue of The Catholic Worker, she writes, we believe that Social Security legislation, now billed as a great victory for the poor and for the worker, is a great defeat for Christianity. It's an acceptance of the idea of force and compulsion. It's an acceptance of Keynes' statement on the part of the employer, am I my brother's keeper? Since the employer can never be trusted to give a family wage, nor take care of the worker as he takes care of his machine when it is idle, the state must enter in and compel help on his part. In other words, we should love not out of compulsion, but nor out of public policy, but in obedience to and in imitation of Christ. Day was, in many ways, an enigma. Her entire life was a wrestling match with the truth, and as she battled, she simultaneously challenged us. Merton, King, and Lincoln did the same. None of them were perfect. Each, in fact, had some perhaps glaring flaws, and yet they were prophetic voices in their and our times. In certain ways, these rearview mirror prophets are very much like the windshield prophets of old. Not one can be said to have sought out their prophetic call. Isaiah and Jeremiah, in fact, were quite vocal in their resistance and in their admission of unworthiness. St. Paul, the author of our second reading, was a confessed killer. In today's exhortation, he challenges the belief of his time that a person's worth was measured by his or her ability to produce offspring. It was unheard of to say that celibate lives are actually a necessary and valuable part of God's plan for the kingdom. Paul is a prophet, even as he struggles himself to follow Christ. That's what a prophet looks like. In other words, a prophet looks surprisingly like you. What you talking about, Father Pat?
In the sacrament of baptism, each one of us was commissioned to share the Lord's call as priest, prophet, and king. Your prophetic voice is necessary in a world seeking the truth and desiring the fullness of the kingdom of God. You'll make many mistakes on the way and sometimes just be plain wrong. But you're usually heading in the right direction when you yourself struggle with the very word you're asked to speak, finding the difficult answers only in dedicated prayer. An authentic prophet realizes that he or she doesn't have it all figured out. Knowing their own need for conversion is at least as urgent as it is for everybody else. That's what I'm talking about, or rather, what God's talking about. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Have a great day, and say a prayer for me.